Hello, I'm Christina Young and you're back in Gloucester Book Club's Book Lounge. And tonight, snuggled up on the sofa, are James and Liz. And we're going to be talking about Patrick Gale's novel, which was published in 2003, and it's called A Sweet Obscurity. We hope you enjoy. Since her mother's death, nine-year-old Dido has been living with her eccentric aunt, acting as peacekeeper between Eliza, her estranged husband Giles and his girlfriend. They are each cruelly burdened in different ways. Chance draws them down to Cornwall, where a country idyll offers to lighten their urban cares. Eliza falls in love with local farmer Pierce, an event that causes the four adults to reassess their lives with some painful and unforeseen consequences for adults and child alike. A Sweet Obscurity is told from the alternating viewpoints of four characters. Eliza is a musicologist who's lost her way wrecked her marriage with a foolish liaison and is now living in some squalor in a council flat. Giles is her estranged husband, an operatic counter-tenor. Julia is his girlfriend, assistant to his Machiavellian lesbian agent. Pierce is a Cornish beef farmer, as yet unconnected to any of them. And running through the four strands, ensnaring the adults' hearts, and effectively controlling their destinies is Dido, the niece Eliza adopted on her sister's death. Dido has stumbled upon a terrible secret, but is realising that none of the adults in her life is strong enough or focused enough to help her deal with it. to discuss Patrick Gale's novel, A Sweet Obscurity. Can I start with you, Liz? What did you think of this novel? I enjoyed it. I thought it was slightly overlong. It's not a novel that you would expect to be made terribly happy by. It's got a lot of damaged people in it, but they're quite interesting in their damage, if you like. Um, I can't say that I particularly warm to any of the characters, but they were complicated and their stories interwove. Um, and you've got the themes of idyllic Cornwall, corrupt cities, and then the overarching madrigals in the background. Yeah, yeah we had a few of those, didn't we? What about you, James? What did you think of this one? I thought it was great. It was, uh, you know, just pure escapism a book that you can just plug into, look forward to plugging into and enjoy. And um, it doesn't teach you any big lesson at the end of it. It's not a heavy book. It doesn't open up some awful casket of rape or something like that. It's just a simple story. And the, the characters are set in London to start with, and then all the action moves down to Cornwall. And it all gets very involved and everyone keeps bumping into everybody by mistake and they all change partners and end up quite happily at the end. I loved it. 
I need to come back to you, James, because actually I remember distinctly at our book club meeting, you likened it to Shakespearean plays. Now tell us a little bit what your train of thought was on that. First of all, I think it's a, a book exactly like uh, a famous Beatrix Potter is a book called Town Mouse and Country Mouse. The Shakespeare play analogy came really from the way in which people, all of these coincidences keep happening. You know, I mean, I won't spoil the book for anybody, but it, it's almost as if someone has a twin brother and he turns up in the book and everyone thinks it's his twin brother. It's that that kind of thing keeps happening, you know, and uh, somebody yeah. who, who's your best friend back at home, you suddenly bump into them in a churchyard in Cornwall or something. And I mean, it, it makes it makes the book fun the way these things keep happening. And um, that, that reminded me of Shakespeare, because at the time we were having a, a discussion about it. And most of the people were quite, quite critical about all of the coincidences that kept happening. And just to kind of fight everybody, I said, well, that happens in Shakespeare. And, um, you know, like As You Like It or God knows how many of his comedies are just completely based on coincidences. And everybody loves those. So anything wrong with having a few coincidences going on actually that comment helped my enjoyment of it because i was one of those that felt credulity had been stretched several times by <laughs> coincidence of circumstance but if you stop being annoyed by that and you put it into the context of the type of shakespearean setting you're talking about it actually becomes quite enjoyable because you stop saying, oh, that could never have happened, and just go mm. along with the story. You, you need to let go a bit of the stark realism of a lot of fiction and just embrace it for what it is, I think. It was an interesting book for me. It wasn't, I have to say, it wasn't my favourite Patrick Gale novel that I've ever read. It was a fairly slow, ponderous start for me. It was definitely a story about love. It was fairly easy to read. I agree with you, Liz. It was maybe a little too long. I did disbelieve Dido. I, I felt she felt like a girl much older than her nine years. And there are some difficult and dark themes running through this book, aren't there? But they didn't really get overly or fully explored. He just gave you a feeling of them in just the one or two sentences. And it worked really well, I felt. I didn't always feel fully invested in all of these characters. There were lots, actually, in the book. Um, someone in book club had counted them up and found that there were 22 characters in total in this book, which is a lot. It is a very long book, I have to say, isn't it? Um, it's nearly 500 pages. And Pierce irritated me a little bit. However, it certainly wasn't a bad book. And I think in our book club meetings, people were mostly scoring it around six and sevens. I think apart from you, James, I think you gave it a nine, didn't you? Maybe I did. <laughs> I agree with you about the understated droplets of some quite dark ideas there was one sentence and it was only a sentence that really stood it was referring to child abuse but nothing nothing's really spelled out it's just this one sentence that because it's so understated it really stuck with me I can remember the actual sentence um, what was that about was that about the photograph no no the photographs are that Giles took of Dido was quite um, a constant theme throughout the book. I mean, that's mentioned quite a lot. Now, this refers to his mother, Trudy, when she's turned to drinking too much after when she's... Oh, I remember, yes, yes. 
And I thought Giles, Giles and his mother. Giles and his mother. I thought that was an extremely clever piece of writing to make a reader think so much in just one sentence. Yeah. You immediately knew what had happened or what was going yes. on, didn't you? You're yes. right. There was no kind of long exposition, no pages of this scene no, where his mother is basically abusing him. Uh, just one little sentence with about seven words in it, and that's all you get. And it does, it plants something in your mind, doesn't it? You're right. And his photographs of Dido, well, it, as it turns out, it wasn't just the photograph of Dido that was um, integral to the plot, but he, of course, had the one remaining photograph of Dido's mother, Hannah. The photograph theme wanders about throughout the book. It's quite unpleasant. Um, I mean, it made me think in the past, when all my children were little, we often took photographs of them when they were asleep. But this wasn't like that. <laughs> the, the implication was that it was something much more dark going on there, wasn't there? He's a funny character, isn't he? Because he's, um, without spoiling the book for anybody, he's, a, he's an opera singer, isn't he? And um, we're told that the very first time he had a singing um, trial, at the university or when it, when it, wherever it was, they immediately, as soon as he opened his voice, they all went, wow, you're a mm. countertenor. And the countertenor mm. is the one with the really high voice. And so yes. immediately you start to think, oh, this guy's probably gay. And, um, and he certainly looks like he's gay. And we also hear that he's got no hair on his chest and he's always um, no, has trouble growing hair on his face. And all of these things come together. And then what you say, we get that little frisson of a picture that he took of a, of a girl that keeps reminding him. And um, mm. I think that, I don't know, it does make his character more interesting, I think, that, that because in fact he's totally heterosexual, as it turns out. Although he does have one brief kiss with Villiers, but he has some rather strange sexual preferences where he likes his women to be almost like dolls in bed. Probably links back, doesn't it, to his own experiences of his, you know, childhood sexual abuse um, with his mum. Who are the most convincing characters in this book? Because we have Eliza, we have Julia, we have Giles and we have Pierce. They're the four main characters. Of those four, who did you find most convincing? I think probably Julia. I didn't find Dido. To me, she didn't come across as a, an average nine-year-old girl. I thought she displayed far too many adult insights and characters for a nine-year-old. Eliza irritated me because she was just so fey. There was a wonderful comment in one of the reviews where she was a pretend academic, a pretend mother, a pretend wife. She sort of tended to float around a bit being too sure what she was supposed to be doing. Julia, I could understand, she had constructed a background for herself that she thought was more fitting for her present day images. She was quite realistic about Giles. You know, he, he, he didn't love her. He couldn't even bring himself to say that he couldn't even lie and say that he loved her. I mean, she seemed more realistic. Not always a pleasant woman. She was prepared to do things to advance her own corner but she came over more realistic, I think. I deflect the question a bit because I'm not sure that I expected any of them to be convincing, as I've said already. It's a bit like a comedy, this book. If you ask me who the most convincing character in As You Like It was, I'd probably say that none of them are that convincing because it's not. that's not the point. I thought that 
you know, there was the characters were either London based or they were Cornwall based. And he made the Cornwall characters much more down to earth. And I actually believed in them a lot more than the London characters who all had, they were either agents for opera singers or opera singers themselves, or they just hung around an opera singer, or there was another one who was a, a kind of a slightly failed actor. And they all moved in these kind of circles. And so they weren't really given much credibility by the author himself. He, he obviously wanted to push the idea that the Cornwall people were much more rooted and understood how to enjoy their lives. And so I'd say the Cornwall people is my answer. Juxtaposition between sort of Islington and Helston, you know. The, yes. <laughs> that's what he was trying trying to present. Do you think for many readers it, it might also be this romantic symbol of childhood holidays that sort of link with Cornwall? It might attract you because of that? Possibly, but I mean, most people's holiday memories of Cornwall would be sea, sand, beach, buckets and spades, whereas this isn't. It's, it's rural farming land. So I would think that although some people might have had that memory of Cornwall, it's not, it's not the main one. It's when the London people decide to come down to Cornwall and all of these coincidences start happening, then the London people experience Cornwall like a sort of yuppie tourist, don't they? They go to mm. these fancy hotels, which the people who live in Cornwall are saying, oh, I haven't been here since 1970. It was a right hole then. And they've it's been done up and it's all pristine and minimalist and everything. And um, they all live this existence of, in restaurants, eating lobsters and traveling on little boats to Marazion, where the real Cornish people are just living life as it is. And so I think he is making a, a bit of a statement because he comes from Cornwall, doesn't he? He's, he's probably disapproving of tourism in Cornwall and second homes in Cornwall in this book. As well. I think he's originally from Ham um, Winchester, actually, and then yes. moved to London and then yeah. moved to Cornwall when he married his husband, who is actually a farmer. He's writing from the perspective as well of a farmer. So let's talk a little bit about the farmer in the book. Let's talk about Pierce as a character. Did you like Pierce? Was he believable? Well, he wasn't the most exciting card in the pack, was he? I think the writer goes to some length to explain that life is drudgery. It's hard work. It's, it's not particularly interesting or glamorous when you're planting field after field. I didn't have a lot of sympathy for Pierce. He had wanted to be a vet. He, in a way, had accused his father of stopping him being a vet, which had very dramatic consequences. And then when he could have gone back to his studies, he chose not to. I think his redeeming grace is he's going to make an excellent stepfather to Dido. Yeah. That's where he comes into his own. Passionate love between him and Eliza. I would imagine they, they both settle for comfort and safety. Did you like him, James? Yes. But I mean, if somebody said to me he wasn't, he was a flawed character, then I would completely endorse what they say as well. Because, yeah, the funny thing for me is that I've got a brother called Giles and a brother called Piers. And the brother <laughs> called Giles is kind of like a high-flying intellectual at Helsinki University. And the brother called Piers has always worked with his hands. And, you know, so not just the names are, are, are the same, but also the characters are the same. 
he's basically somebody who's inherited a farm from his father who could could become a vet and has been to Bristol University but he's settled for the farm because a because it's the house he's lived in all his life and b because he doesn't mind uh, simple routine and hard work and I can imagine myself doing exactly the same in his position actually I think he says that at one point to his father you know I'm like most farmers. I find it very difficult to find a woman, you know, whereas Eliza, to a certain extent, falls into his lap with a ready-made family. Some people have said that the emphasis on emotional relationships, which runs throughout the novel, gave the novel this Arga Saga feel. And there was one critical statement I read, which said that a sweet obscurity sits on the boundary between serious fiction and popular romance. And it's occupying this position with a poise, which suggests that's exactly where he wants it to sit. Now, someone in our book club described it as highbrow chick lit, which I thought was quite an apt description. How do you feel about it? And how do you think Patrick Gale would feel about that kind of description of his book? Well, I think he'd probably laugh. I think it's probably a little unfair to describe it as high-class chick lit because a lot of effort must have gone into drawing all these characters and pulling them together. And I think some of the themes, the possible child abuse, the, the flawed mothers in it, I think motherhood... <laughs> and brother and sister relationships are very strong. Pierce with his sister Molly, later on Colin with his sister Sally, I think her name was, and Giles, he's more like a brother to Eliza. He loves her, but they don't have a particularly physically passionate relationship. Um, I think there's a lot of mixed family boundaries, which I don't think you would get in ordinary chiclet to be honest. You may think I've never read any chiclet so I'm not qualified to answer this question but I have. <laughs> Everything's described in a chiclet book you know. She was 34, she'd been through one marriage and she was looking out for somebody else. She'd like a guy who agreed with her. I mean it was nothing like that, nothing. The, mm -hmm. the characters are so beautifully drawn you know and there's so many clever references that, that when one of the couples is splitting up towards the end of the book. The girl is reflecting that he he never actually said he loved her when he's sending her an email. He never says love Giles. It just said Giles with four crosses next to it. And he called mm. that and she called that a kind of algebraic misunderstanding, which is a great thing to say, you know. And also the way that characters kept falling out with each other and then deciding they liked each other. I mean, it was so well described and you completely understood it when it happened. He spent half the book setting the characters up at the beginning. I mean, mm. it, it was bound to be good. And I don't think it's fair to call it chick lit, honestly. When the characters do lie to each other, they cheat on each other. They are unkind to each other in places. So there's not a lot of, there's comedy, but it's almost dark comedy that's going on. Mm. Yes. I agree. There is a, quite a lot. We'll talk about that in a minute, about the dark humour in the book. But I think in response to whether it's, you know, highbrow chick lit, I think it, that was posed to Patrick Gale at one point in which he responded and said that it was true that he is a romantic and he likes to write about romance in his books um, and relationships. 
but he certainly wouldn't describe it as chiclet. <laughs> we're talking to talk a little bit about the humour in the book because there there is some stuff. I mean, I'm thinking particularly of the dog that dies at the beginning of the book and has to be frozen in the chest freezer and then got out at the end in order to be disposed of. And yeah. it was quite funny, all of that stuff, wasn't it? It, it, it was, I mean, it's not nice, obviously, but it's, it's quite black humour, but it is funny. It's something um, that I will long remember, actually. And I mean... I was quite angry with Julia for doing mm. that. You know, how dare you? I couldn't, I couldn't imagine doing that to one of my dogs. But it was <laughs> funny at the same time. It was sort of gallows humour. It was, yeah. And the, there's a character called Villiers, who, who, Liz, you've already mentioned, who we're told he's homosexual and he's some kind of critic or something to do with the art world in London. But all he does is feeds off other people's misfortune and goes off spreading the gossip, you know. And it's just hilarious to have a character like that in the book. Mm, Every I scene think. he's in is funny. I also I, found it, the, the exchange online between Pierce Cooley, the woman that he's kind of setting up an online date with, very funny as well. Because, you know, it was almost like Pierce was entering into this conversation, but it wasn't really him because there was an awful lot of explicit sexual stuff that was going on between them. I was a bit disappointed with Pierce over that scene. Mm. With, I mean, Janet, the woman that he he he, he got oh, to know, he got to know in a chat room, and eventually they they met. It was tacky, basically, mm. um, and mm. I remember thinking, "Oh, Pierce, did you have to?" Mm. Yeah, it did feel tacky, didn't it? Again, it was sort of seedy almost, a very seedy feel to it. But at the same time, I thought it was quite funny. What about the introduction of cherubism in the book, which was, if anything, an effective kind of shocking thing? Was it extraneous to the rest of the plot? Could we have done without the introduction of the cherubism? For those listeners who don't know what we're talking about here, cherubism is a genetically inherited condition which tends to affect pre-pubescent boys mainly in this in this novel it affected Dido the girl character and it causes cysts to grow in the lower jaw and pushes that lower jaw out and it's um, very disfiguring. He introduced a character into the book who has cherubism and we won't tell you which one it is because that will spoil it for you but did you feel it you know, the book could have done without that. It would have been just as good without it. Well, it explained one thing I was puzzled by when a couple of times Eliza very emphatically says she can't have children. And I remember thinking, well, why can't? You know, she's she's mm. adopted. You learn it's because she's worried she may be carrying a defective gene. So that explains something I was puzzled about. Well, I think a, a, a good novelist, as we all know, has to bring together lots of things to make a good book and um, you know obviously the characters have to be good the backdrop has to be good but also you get these kind of incidental floating things that come in mm -hmm. like also there were madrigals and it, they were all singing madrigals in Cornwall and I suddenly thought wow madrigals and I went on YouTube and had to find out what madrigals were and then I thought the character that they were describing I thought is he real and, th and I found out he wasn't real you know so I was interested in the madrigals and then we get this cherubism floating in you know these things have made us all talk about it on this discussion then they, they were good you know because they, they came into the book they piqued our interest and added to all of the other stuff that's going on in the book it makes a good book you know I mean you don't want it to be too straight down the line 
It's, it, was, it was interesting. I certainly know what cherubism is now. Which... Madrigals was a theme that ran constantly throughout. I mean, it no. even made me Google this particular one to see whether it actually existed. And I was actually quite peeved when I found out that, no, it didn't. Um, <laughs> no. Again, it's very Cornish, because I think if you mm. read it at the back where he's talking about how he comes to write this book, he's been singing with a group in Cornwall. Was it bold of Patrick Gale as a gay writer to attempt a novel that deals with heterosexual relationships? We've got one sort of very small gay, well, we've got two gay characters, actually, I think we have, haven't we? We've got Villiers and we have the lesbian um, agent, I think, who runs the agency. They're quite minor characters. Was it bold of him to, to attempt to write a novel that deals with heterosexual relationships? I mean, could you, you know, see yourselves writing a novel about homosexual relationships? It's something I've often wondered about. Would I know how to get inside the mindset and the body of a man? Because I've never done it and never will mm. do it. But it's very much akin to saying, oh, well, an actor can't play a part unless they fit mm. the racial profile or the gender profile. It, it's acting. And I suppose writing is, you know, it, it's the narrative of acting put into words. So mm. lots of writers do. And I would hate to take the step of saying, oh, well, you can't talk about a gay man unless you are a gay man or you can't talk about it. So, so no. Mm. I think it, you have to just accept it's fiction. I think yeah. that um, I think we shouldn't say that that homosexual people can't write about heterosexual um, relationships. It depends uh, on the way that they write about them. But if you know this in this book, it was, for example, there was a couple towards the end where where one of them became pregnant, and um, as a result of it, virtually they decided to split up. These feelings between two people would, would probably be the same in a homosexual relationship, even though they couldn't exactly get pregnant, of course. And also, you said yourself that Patrick Gale is married to a farmer in Cornwall. And this book is about a girl who gets married to a farmer in Cornwall. So I bet you he was discussing the character and the get together with his husband and saying, well, how do you think they'd feel about it? Because he's actually drawing on his own experience and just making himself a girl, isn't he? which I think is perfectly okay. Yes, I mean, if you leave the sort of sexual side out of it, which... Which he did. Most, most people can write about, even though they haven't experienced it. I would say that love between two people, um, feeling betrayed, feeling angry, feeling frustrated, it doesn't matter whether you're man on man, yeah. woman on woman, the, the, the emotions are the same. Absolutely, yeah, I quite agree. The only small bit that I might sort of think about, if I was going to write about a hetero, uh, homosexual relationships, I think I would want to feel that I'd done quite a lot of research into it, you know, that I'd talked to people who were gay and got their you know, ideas about whether this is authentically how I'm writing about it or whether I've got that completely wrong. I think I'd need to check it out. I wouldn't just go headlong writing it. And I'm sure that Patrick Gale has enough experience of heterosexual relationships in his own life um, through his experience to be able to write them. I, I just wouldn't feel qualified to say that I knew enough about homosexual relationships to write authentically so that people who are homosexual reading the book would think that I 
knew what I was talking about, really. I wouldn't presume to know. Um, but I think it's probably different uh, for Patrick Gale because he's had a lot of experience of heterosexual relationships in his own life, I'm sure. You don't have to, for example, seven of the characters in the book act out roles that they're not. One acts out the role of a father, even though he isn't the biological father. One acts out the role of the biological mother, even though she's, in fact, two women do that. You wouldn't say, oh, an, a, a novelist can't write about being a parent if they're not one. Um, mm -hmm. As you say, it's the background research. You've got to research it, haven't you? You've got to know. So in terms of this being a, a book for a book club discussion, is it is it a good enough one to to say, yeah, they should, people should go for it. What do you think, James? Oh, yeah. I mean, it depends. I think uh, I think the longer that I discuss books with people, I realise that different people want different things out of a book, you know. And um, this book clearly doesn't represent everything that you both want to get out of a book, but it clearly represents everything that I like in a book, you know. As I said, it's escapist. And I know plenty of people who like books like me and they would love this book. But also, mm. alternative, you know, I know people who like something a bit more serious, a bit more with more realism and, you know, with, with things to think about, issues and things like that. And no, it doesn't really hit that. You know, even this cherubism is only brushed upon. And as Liz said, the sort of the sexual relationship with his mother is only brushed upon. He doesn't want to go into it, which a lot of mm. people would, would want him to, I think. And so... If you like escapism, I would recommend this out of hand to anybody. Yes, no, I think it makes a good choice for a book club, particularly for those people who, instead of wanting to be dominated by plot, like relationships mm. between the characters. And I mean, there's a large number of characters here and they're all very different. So there's an awful lot to absorb and talk about with all these characters. Um, mm. You like some, you don't like others so much so no I would think it was a good choice I agree I think it is a good choice I think he wrote as I say in 2003 so it's one of his older books and he's written a lot more since then and I think because I've read some of his later books that I can see a progression in his writing as well and um, obviously a, a positive progression I think he's become um, much more mature in his writing style as you know as the books have gone along and I would but I would say that if you're looking for a book of Patrick Gales to start with you know this is not a bad one to begin with and you know you can broaden he's written loads so I mean there's lots to choose from I, I would say yes definitely a good book for a book club there's a lot in it be prepared for a 460 page book though that's the only you know caveat I would place on that so if you have readers that don't like reading long books then don't choose this one. As a caveat there was only one part where I felt like saying mm, I'm not sure your research would stack that up his Cherescan the, the the musician um, oh, yeah. is apparently expelled from court or from London because he's a homosexual and takes refuge in Cornwall well, in actual fact, if you look at the date of James I, virtually everybody was at homosexual relationships in, in the court and he wouldn't have been ostracised. He'd have probably got a much rougher deal down in Cornwall than he would ever have got <laughs> the court in London. My advice would be don't get annoyed about the coincidences. Go with the mm. flow because they, if you like, 
are the thread that holds the storyline together. I think that's a good thing to say. Can I just tell you all that our next podcast in about a month's time will be on Ian McEwan's new book, Lessons, which we have just completed reading for book club. And again, another huge book to get through. But we're really looking forward to that one. So I hope you'll join us all again soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Gloucester Book Club's podcasts. You can find us on Spotify, Anchor FM, Google and Apple Podcasts and many more. We look forward to having you join us again soon.